In the message today, we're continuing the series called Stories That Shape Our Faith, as we take deeper dives into accounts from Scripture that we've heard all of our lives. As we listen, our prayer is that God will use His Word to change and challenge us. Guys, we are so thankful that you are here today. We are thankful that we are starting Wow Week. If you are, if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, my name is Josh Braddy. I have the honor to be pastor here, and this is Wow Week, and it is indeed an extreme wow. Uh, this morning, our number as we get started tomorrow is we already have 1,200 kids registered for our Vacation Bible School. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for that? That does not include the the copious amounts of volunteers that it is going to take for us to pull this thing off. And so we need a lot from you, and mostly we need prayer. So if you would, throughout this week, Monday through Friday, if you would make it your goal that every morning you wake up, would you pray for this church family? Pray for all the boys and girls who will be a part of this Wow Week. Pray for the teachers, the leaders, the group guides. Pray for everybody involved that people may hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and we pray that they would respond. And so this is one of my favorite weeks all year long. It is not uh, very often that we have giant inflatable beach balls in the sanctuary. Um, but, and, and it's, it's hard to even tell how tall these things really are. They're like four and a half feet tall. So if they fall, just dodge. It's going to be great, okay? Just pass them around the room. We'll have a big time together. Well, guys, we get to jump back into the sermon series, the stories that shape our faith. I pray that you have loved it so far. I know that I have. And even this last week as I was on vacation, which by the way, we went to the beach. This is my first time seeing this when I walked into the room, same time you're seeing it as well. If I knew this was happening, we would have saved a lot of money and seven hours travel and just stayed right here, okay? Um, but we had a chance to go to the beach this week. It was so much fun. We had a great time away. Uh, we came back and everything seemed to be great, except there were a couple of things in our house that didn't work like they're supposed to. Like, like I checked my scale when we got back into the house and it seems to be off by 10 pounds, okay? Uh, I'm sure we're gonna get that sorted out this week. We'll bring somebody in to look at the scale. But this past week was so much fun. One of my favorite parts of the week is getting to tune in to Broadmoor's live service last Sunday morning at 930 and to hear Pastor Jay Fletcher bring God's word. Were you encouraged by what Pastor Jay did? Listen, I I know that there are a lot of times that, that you think, man, that was awesome. That was great. But for the person who presents it, particularly somebody who doesn't do it all that often on this stage, particularly, it is a daunting task. But then you leave feeling like, oh, no, I don't know if I did a very good job presenting God's Word. So uh, this is a shameless plug from me for Pastor Jay. If you were encouraged by that brother this week, and I know that many of you have probably already done this, would you mind spending some time in an email or a card this week just encouraging him specifically on a way that he encouraged you through the Word this week? I just know that means the world to me when it happens for me, and I know it would mean the world for him. I am so thankful for that brother and how he led us last week. But today, we jump in to pretty much the remainder of Genesis, okay? We are going to look at the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bible, would you open to Genesis chapter 50? Genesis chapter 50, and we're only going to look at seven verses, but we have a whole lot of backstory to cover because the story today, as we look at the life of Joseph, is pretty complex. 
And as we look to this, there's going to be one theme that goes across. It's a theme that we just sang, and it's a theme that we will hear, and it will be a theme, listen to me, that I pray we live out the rest of our days. And it is this, God is faithful and we can trust him. It is simply that, but this story in all of the complexities and all of the ups and the downs and the all arounds, God is declaring his faithfulness and goodness even when our situations don't seem to match. So my hope is, even as we jump into this, that we learn what it is to trust God even when we don't know or feel like we can. And so as you are turning to Genesis chapter 50, I want to give you the very long backstory here, okay? So we pick up in Genesis chapter 27. You don't have to turn there because I'm not going to use many references. I'm just going to give it real fast across the way, okay? We pick up when Joseph is 17 years old. Joseph is 17 and he's probably his father's favorite child. So much so his dad gives him a coat of many colors. That when he gets this coat of many colors, he wears it and shows it off. And his brothers don't like the fact that he's kind of flaunting the favoritism that his dad is showing to him. But not only that, Joseph has two dreams when he's 17. And both of these dreams involve his brothers and his family. And it seems to go something like this. There's going to be a day that those brothers, the older brothers, are going to stand before Joseph and they're going to bow down. And it seems that they are going to serve the younger brother. And of course, they don't like that at all. And so as the brothers are out tending the field, Joseph's dad, who is Jacob, by the way, sends Joseph to go and take care of the brothers, to check in on them, to bring them the supplies that they need. And as they see Joseph marching towards them in his coat of many colors, they start to scheme up a plan. And the plan starts pretty deviously. They say, let's kill him and report back to our father that some animal has killed him. Well, Reuben speaks up and he says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a hole and we'll teach him a lesson that way. Because Reuben really thought, according to the Bible, that he would get to come back later and rescue Joseph out of the hole. Well, they, they, they don't kill him. They take him and they throw him in the hole. And then there's this group of Ishmaelites. And they come walking by, and the brothers scheme up another plan and say, well, at least let's get something for him. So they sell their brother to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of money. So at 17 years old, Joseph is sold into slavery to people he does not know, and he starts to make his way towards Egypt. And it is from there that he's sold into this place called Potiphar's house. Potiphar was one of the, the, the officers of, of Egypt, one of the officers of Pharaoh. And, and, and it was here that, that he begins to, to see that even though life is not going well, the Lord is showing favor to him. The Bible says repeatedly throughout the account of Joseph is the Lord was with Joseph and showed favor to Joseph. So when he gets sold into Potiphar's house, Potiphar realizes God's favor on him and he puts him over his whole house. So things are going really well for Joseph, even though he was sold into slavery and put into Potiphar's house, until this lady named Potiphar's wife. I don't know what her name is. We're just going to go with Potiphar's wife. But she starts to recognize Joseph's skills for a whole other reason. And, and we're going to use this, uh, and we're going to say it a couple of different ways today, uh, hopefully to, to kind of code some things. So, so here we go. Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph to be her friend. Okay, 
Joseph said, I don't want to be your friend. So she grabs his jacket and says, you're going to be my friend. Joseph says, no, I will not be your friend. Hits her with a spin move and comes out of his jacket. Are we following on? Okay. Potiphar's wife feels embarrassed that Joseph doesn't want to be her friend. So she makes up a story to tell her husband that Joseph wasn't kind and that he wanted to be her friend. See, here's the jacket to prove it. Potiphar gets mad and throws Joseph into prison. You can read more of a detailed story in Genesis chapter 39. I see a bunch of y'all writing that reference down. So we have this moment where we have a low, then we have a high, the high in the sense that he is now over the house of Potiphar. And then there's now a low when he is accused of doing something that he never did, and he gets thrown into jail for it. And then from there, we kick back off in Genesis 39, 21 with these famous words, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. So now Joseph is in prison, but of course, the keeper of the prison realizes that Joseph was special and God's favor was on him. So the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in control of all the prisoners in prison. While Joseph was in prison, two new prisoners showed up. They were both officers from Pharaoh. One was a cupbearer, the other was a baker. One night, many years into this jail time, one night the cupbearer and the baker both have a dream. The dreams troubled them because they didn't know what they meant. So Joseph went and came up the next morning and saw that these two men were troubled and he asked them, what's going on? Why are you troubled? So Joseph hears their dream and Joseph then tells them what their dream meant. For the cupbearer, it was good news. In three days, he would be let out of jail. You'd be reinstated into the office that you had with Pharaoh, and you will be celebrated. But for the baker, it wasn't a good dream. And in three days, he would also be released. But then he would go to die because he would be killed. So the cupbearer goes out of jail, and and as he is leaving, he's happy about his, his favorable dream interpretation. Joseph says, don't forget me. When you get to Pharaoh, don't forget me because I'll never forget you. How could I ever forget you? Well, needless to say, the cupbearer gets out and forgets Joseph completely. Two years later, Pharaoh has a troubling dream. No one could figure out the meaning. And the cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy, I think. I remember a Hebrew that was in prison with me. So Pharaoh brings Joseph up and tells him his dream, and Joseph tells him, hey, Egypt, this is what it means, Egypt is about to go through seven years of the most blessed harvest you will have ever seen. You will have more food than you will know what to do with, but following those seven years, you are going to have seven years of the worst famine the world has ever seen. But also, in accordance with the dream interpretation, Joseph tells Pharaoh, you need to appoint a wise person, a leader, to oversee a new program. And the program is going to be this, that you are going to, in all of the years of good harvest, in those first seven years, we need to take the grain and we need to store it so much so that we have so much grain that we can feed not only ourselves, but the world that comes to us. Well, that's music to Pharaoh's ears. That's more control. That's more power. more money. And so Joseph says, you need to make sure that this person is smart. You need to make sure that they're wise. You need to make sure that they're a person of integrity. And Pharaoh stops him and says, who is more wise, smart, and integrous than you? 
And it's in that moment that Joseph goes from prison to second in command of all of Egypt. And as we know from the scripture, second in command to all of the known world. He was 30 years old when he was promoted. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Fast forward. The famine is worse than even anyone ever thought. Joseph does such an incredible job of stewarding the crops that by the time the famine hit, Egypt has has so much grain that no one was able to measure it. Now the whole earth, what the Bible says, the whole earth was coming to buy grain from Joseph in Egypt. We're going back to Joseph's homeland. Jacob, his father, they were hungry, and they had heard that someone was selling grain in Egypt. So Jacob sent the brothers to Egypt to buy grain. When the brothers walked up, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't know who he was. And after a few interactions, Joseph tells them who he is. Joseph is overjoyed to see his brothers, to be able to help them, but the brothers are terrified. The brothers that sold him into slavery all those years ago holds their, holds their lives in his hands, and the story moves on. The brothers go back and tell the father what had happened. They'd come back, and Joseph said, listen, just, just come, just bring dad, bring, bring everybody, and I'll take care of you. So the whole family packs up, and they move to Egypt, and they settle in a land called Goshen. And Pharaoh is more than pleased at this moment to say, you have been such a faithful servant to me, Joseph. Whatever you say will be done. Take the best land, which is the land of Goshen, and give it to your family and let them settle there. This is a beautiful thing. In the years that followed, it was nothing but good times for Jacob, all the brothers, including Joseph, who was leading them. But in Genesis chapter 50, it's recorded that Jacob dies. He's an old man in a ripe old age. But as soon as he died, the brothers became incredibly worried that now since their dad wasn't there to protect them, that Joseph would now seek the revenge that probably was rightfully his. So they came to Joseph and apologized, sort of. That's where we pick up today. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because of the evil they did to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God of your father. Now, time out. If you go back and you read this account, which I believe that you should, you are going to see that didn't happen. Jacob never said that. It was never a part of the plan. These guys were still conniving. These guys were still lying. They were trying to cover their tracks. They were trying to survive with with everything that they are, at all costs, they are trying to, to make themselves out to be better than they were. And so they bring dad into this, their dead father into this, saying, hey, look, your dad, the dad that you love, the dad that loved you, told you you need to forgive us. 
And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. So not only do they invoke Jacob's name, they invoke the name of God. So please forgive what we've done. The second half of verse 17. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. All right. This is probably the first time that his brothers were honest-ish in communication with him. They came to him. They effectively are bowed down to him, even through a letter of a messenger. The dream that he had had all those years ago is now coming to fruition. He weeps when they speak to him. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So God is faithful. Joseph knew that. He knew that his whole life. If anyone had ever had the right to be angry about how things turned out in their life, Joseph had that right. All right, don't miss the pain. Don't miss the trauma that happens to Joseph just because this is told in story form or because it's like thousands of years removed from you. This is a man, a a child, forget that. He was a child, he's 17 years old, who is sold into slavery by his brothers. His blood wanted him to die, and instead they said, no, we're going to get something for you. So they sold him that they would never have to see him or hear from him again. How heartbreaking must that be for a 17-year-old boy? God sets him into a place that seemingly is going to be good for him. He is favored. He is doing things well. He is leading with integrity. And now he's falsely accused of doing bad things, and he's thrown into jail for it for many, many years. Don't miss the timeline of this. It's not like he went to jail one day, the baker and the cupbearer came in the next day, and then he got out. This is years of his life. He is in prison. But he was faithful every step of the way. And what did he get? Years of pain. All right. The good stuff's about to come, but let's just not forget what we are hearing right now. We live in a day and age that we want the microwave version of life. Like, like we, 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 we walk through a hard time. We go through a hard season, and we pray, God, help me. God, hear me. God, deliver me. And if God doesn't answer you tomorrow morning by the time you open your eyes, you're mad at God. God, how can you not hear my prayer? I've cried out to you for six whole hours. Can't believe you won't answer my prayer. The reason we need to read the Word of God is because from Genesis to Revelation, the the reason for suffering, the reason for pain in a life is not punishment. But it's that they may grow and know the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That's not just true 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. That's still true today. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because those trials are doing something in you. 
They are building something in you, and it's something that is going to see God as more beautiful and faithful than you've ever seen him. I know affliction is not fun. I know that pain is not something that we pray for, but trust that if God has trusted it to you, he is going to be with you in it. Don't miss this story. Joseph, his whole life was faithful to God and favored by God, and he still found himself in some really hard places. That may be your story today. That may be where you find yourself in this season of life that you feel like, God, I have loved you, I have served you, I've been faithful to you. Why am I walking through this pain? Listen to me, I don't believe that God causes evil, but I do believe that God will allow affliction into our life to refine us, to let go of the things of this world that don't matter, and to cling to the things of him that eternally matters. Don't miss that truth in Joseph's life. So if we have our timeline correct, 17 sold into slavery, 30 when he becomes the second in command in Egypt. But then you have the whole seven years of of, of feast and then the seven years of famine and then all of those years living together. We are seeing that we are 20 plus years removed from that day and all of those 20 plus years is ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. But God is faithful. God's not just faithful when good things happen. He's not absent when bad things happen. God is faithful along the way. Church, God is faithful. So now his brothers stand before him. He holds, Joseph holds all power and authority over them. What does Joseph say? So remember, they sent a messenger, then they came. They fall down before him. Joseph has the right and the power to say, death to you all. It is all over. Verse 19, this is what he says. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in, do not fear, for I, uh, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. All right, there's so much here. But again, remember, this, this whole sermon series is about broad brush strokes. We are, we are looking at the, the high-level uh, meanings behind all of these stories. And we know that this story, the story of Joseph's life, is God is faithful no matter the circumstances. And so when he stands before the brothers, the brothers are bowed down. He has an opportunity to speak life or death to them. What he says to them is, do not fear. And then he asks him a question. Am I God? Am I to exact justice on you? No, that's what God does. Effectively, what he is saying is, I am here to play the role that God has put me in. And right now, that role is to give life. He says, you meant evil against me. Like when I was 17 years old, you meant evil against me. You meant to kill me. Reuben saved me, but then you meant more evil for me and you sold me. You wanted me out of your life, but God was working when I was 17. 
When I was 17 years old, you thought you were getting rid of me, but God was just starting a journey in me that was going to save the world. It was going to bring glory to him and good to the communities around him. Potiphar's wife meant evil. God meant good. The cupbearer meant evil. God meant good. Hey, church, I don't know what you have gone through. In a room this size, with a demographic this diverse, there's no doubt that in every row there is heartbreaking stuff that has gone on in your life. And I am so sorry that that has happened to you. I am sorry that that is part of your story. I am sorry that you are still dealing with the physical and emotional and spiritual scars because of the life that has happened to you. But listen to me and listen to me carefully. God sees it, knows it, and will use it for his glory. What has happened to you is not a waste. There is nothing that you have gone through in this life that God has not been able to redeem. You may be sitting here today and say, Josh, you don't know the horrors that I have walked through in this life. How can you say that? I don't know what you've walked through, but I do know the God that has walked with you through it. And some of you may find encouragement from that. Some of you may find anger. I understand both. What do you mean both? You may find comfort that God was there, but you also may be angry that he was there and he chose in your mind to do nothing or not to do it differently. I can't explain to you why, but I can tell you that God is good and he is faithful even when it doesn't feel like he is. So if you are here today and you are looking for hope, the only hope that we have in life and death is Jesus Christ. For he is the one that not only gives us the opportunity for eternal life, but he is the one who redeems our life from the dead, from the, from the darkness, and brings it to marvelous light. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Church, that could be the anthem for your life. There's some of you in this room dealing with some dark stuff. And when God frees you in that, when God redeems that in you, you now have a ministry platform that you may think today, no way I would ever voice that. But God in his grace may give you the courage and the opportunity to platform the pain that has happened to you to give life to somebody else who believes that death is the only way. Don't believe the enemy's lies. You are not so broken you can't be redeemed. God loves you and has a plan for your life. God is faithful. Joseph tells this to his brother. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. It is a promise not just for today, but a promise for tomorrow. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Proverbs 19.21 says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. I don't know what your mind is telling you now or what your mind has told you in the past, but please hear me. God has a plan for your life and that is what will stand the test of time. 
Don't listen to the enemy. You have not failed so much that God can't redeem and restore you. And you may say, well, Josh, this season seems long. The season of pain, of crying out seems long. Can I encourage you to another place in the scriptures of Jeremiah 29? We love Jeremiah 29, 11. But do you know the context of Jeremiah 29, 11? Israel, God's people are enslaved. They, the Babylonians have taken them over, and now they are crying out, God, save us. God, God, help us. God, take us out of the slavery. And so God responds to them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. But in the verse right before that, verse 10, it says, but for 70 years, you're going to be here in Babylon. So go ahead and plant vineyards, plant gardens, build houses, be married, have kids. Because you're in this long season for a reason. But I promise you, I've got a plan for your life. Romans 8.28. And we, na- we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. This verse does not say that your life will be good if you belong to God. It does say that God is going to work all things for good. Everything that has ever happened to you, surrendered to him, will be used for good. I don't know how that's going to unfold. I can't explain it to you this morning, but I do know the God who promised this, and he is faithful to do it. And so if you were teetering on the edge this morning and you were saying, I don't know what to do with this life. I feel like it is broken. I feel like I have to put up the facade. I have to put up the the fake face. I have to act like my life is all together, that I don't have pain. I don't have struggle. I don't have insecurity. Let me tell you this. You give God the real you, all of you, the broken part of you and the good part of you and watch what he will do. If you belong to him, If you trust him to be your God, there is a deep and abiding promise that is so powerful, we can't stand it. Here is that promise, Romans 8, 31 and following. If you have your Bible, please turn there. It will be on the screen, but you need this verse. This verse needs to be anchored into your heart. It needs to be put up at your house. It needs to be in your car. It needs to be in your workplace because if you Anchor to this truth. It is absolutely life transforming. Romans 8, 31 and following. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could stand to be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if you're, if you're not following along with that, if God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, what will he not do? Is there anything keeping God from keeping his promises? When he showed us the, full extentus, the fullest extent of his love in sending Jesus Christ. Verse 33. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So who's to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to these words. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or the sword, or any of those things able to keep the love of God away from you. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Those things aren't disqualifying for God's love in you. Just because you walk through hard doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Those things and God's faithfulness in them shows his endless and relentless love for you. For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in case you need clarity, is there anything that has ever happened in your life, things done to you or things that you've done? that will separate you from the love of God? The answer is emphatically according to the word of God and through the words of the Apostle Paul, no. Now, let me be crystal clear on this. This is true of people who have put their hope and trust in Christ for salvation. If you have surrendered to him, what that means is you've taken the whole of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hidden, and you say, Lord Jesus, it all belongs to you. You give that to him and he redeems it all. But if you don't, if you don't give that life to him, if you don't trust all that you are to all that he is, listen to me, that does not apply to you. And I don't say that arrogantly or braggadociously. I'm just telling you, it is heartbreaking to think that you can fix you by yourself. It is impossible to do that. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. The Word has always pointed us to Christ, and Christ has come not to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So church family, listen to me. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your present is. I don't even know what your future is. But I'm telling you, if you don't trust Christ to be your Savior, life is going to be hard. And not just hard like I'm going to struggle here and and this is going to be difficult here. I'm just telling you, it is going to be hellish here and through eternity. But the scriptures are clear that if we trust him to be our savior, if, if, if we feel the call of the Holy Spirit awaken in us a need to repent of our sin and put our hope and trust in him, if we do that, then we are completely forgiven, redeemed, and restored. 
So our worship team comes back up and we get ready for this invitation time. I don't want you to miss this. There are people here today. There are people here watching right now that this sermon has flown all over you. You don't know what to do with it. Because it feels, even though this sermon legitimately, the the account that happens is maybe 4,000 plus years ago. Joseph's story and your story are an awful lot alike. You love God. You're faithful to God. And life has had a lot of ups and downs that leave you wondering, God, where are you? What do you do with it? I'm telling you right now, surrender it to Jesus Christ. And that's not just an incantation. That's not, that's not just you praying a prayer and then all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and poof, everything's better. No, that is a daily surrender to all the fears, all the insecurities, all the pains, all the struggles, all the scars that you continually surrender that to him. This morning, I sat in my truck before I walked into the church and I feel all of these insecurities before I walk back on this campus and I just sit there and I confess them to him this morning not good enough. I can't do this, God. I need, and when we confess that, it's not this, this, this idea that God is just going to magically make it better, but this idea that we have trusted ourselves to the king of the world. And where we are weak, he is strong. The apostle Paul said it again this way in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He pled with the Lord three times. Paul did. Take this thorn away from me. I don't know what the thorn is. Something was afflicting him. God, just take it away. Just, I don't want to see it again. I don't, want to, I don't want to have it a part of my life. God, just take it away. And God said, no. Wait, Josh, you just said if I give it to him. No, what? If you give it to him, he's going to do something with it. So Paul pleads. The Lord says, no, I'm not taking it away. The Lord says to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul's response is this, then I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may be seen. That is the invitation today. I'm not asking you to come down and to promise to try harder to be better. But I am asking you to surrender all of you to the one who will work it all for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. This is the opportunity for you. Surrender your life to him. Confess your need to him and watch the miracle that will unfold between before our eyes. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come into your house today. Thank you for the fun of WOW Week. Thank you for the decorations. Thank you for the anticipation of what this week is going to hold for this church family and all the families in this community who are going to be a part of it. But Lord, I pray that we would not worry about tomorrow when we need to focus on right now. God, there are so many across this room. We have tried with all of our might to hide our broken and only show our good only to find out we have a lot more broken than we have good. 
And for years, we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know what to do with our broken life. We could try harder to to hide it or to fix it. And Lord, that hasn't worked. But Lord, as we see through the life of Joseph, that every step of the way, he was just faithful. He trusted you. And in that faithfulness and that trust, he surrendered himself to be used by you. You did miraculous things through him. Lord, I'm not advocating that you are going to make us second in command of all the world. But Lord, you are a faithful God who promised never to leave us nor forsake us. You are a faithful God who promised to use our brokenness to bring you glory. You are a faithful God who promised to forgive us as far as the east is from the west. You are a faithful God. So help us now, Father, swallow our pride and surrender all that we are to you. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray that we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me? This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.